good dividing line. The Morans are definitely more in-person collective experience, and the lessons are definitely. I'm more pool house. <laughs> Sam house is more pool house in-person experiences. Sam likes That's the it. one-on-one. Um, I love one-on-one. I can deal with two-on-one more than that. Too many people. How was um? How was Labor Day out east? Well, what what did you just say, Dave? I had forgotten how ridiculous the Hamptons are. <laughs> define ridiculous for everybody. Yes, listening. define ridiculous. Oh, I don't even know. Um, all I know is that uh, if I hang out there any longer, I'm going to have to replace my entire wardrobe, like Sam did. That's true. Sam's wearing Martha's Vineyard shirt. Woohoo! Dave was the only one wearing jeans at, <laughs> at like a 50-person party. What else would you wear? Oh, khakis, obviously. Come on, you guys are East Coast people. Come on, Sam. Khakis, boat shoes. Yeah. They're just so uncomfortable. It's true. Boat shoes are actually... No, boat shoes are great. Depends on what kind, I suppose. I wear Olokai boat shoes these days. Most We're two seconds in and you got a product endorsement? I'm full of those. Yeah, you're full of you by Olokai. You can wear them. You can run in them. You can wear them on a boat. Yeah, and then you get plantar fasciitis like you have. So don't you run. Wear them to a formal gathering, and then after a little, after a year or so, you get plantar fasciitis mm-hmm. and end up wearing hookahs all day. And the other big Labor Day news is that my CU Buffs won their opening game against TCU. Thanks in what De- sport? Thanks to in- Deion Sanders. <laughs> oh my gosh. Football, Sam. It's only the biggest <laughs> biggest story in sports right now. The biggest story in sports. We're going to get to sports today. We have sports. We've got media. We've got, of course, some Taylor Swift. We've got, I, I now as this podcast progressed, there, there are some segments. We've got Sam's TV corner, Britt's uh, Taylor corner, Dave's football corner. And I don't want to know what you guys think of me, but let's let's take this moment to welcome our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another week of More or Less, where we talk about tech, venture capital, media, and all the things that people are talking about. Um, it's like there is just so much news happening, guys. I'm exhausted. I don't know. I wrote two stories in the last four days. Like, what's going on? What's your usual pace per story? What's the normal? Well, I don't, I, like, I lead this. I just, you know, I sit in the back and sit there with my editor's pen. But um, I don't know. We're publishing like four or five things a day now. So we're, we're cranking. But um, is it just that people are back to work? You're the only news organization in the world where four or five things is like a huge number of stories. You're supposed to publish like thousands of small things written by yeah, AI. I've- <laughs> I mean, at Britain Co., I mean, we were doing like 50 to 100 a day at the max. Okay, uh, but let's talk about what these are. Months-long investigation to all right. Amazon flex drivers getting shot on the job because people are realizing uh, they're they're delivering packages late at night. Um, these are obviously tragedies. But this is, you know, a real challenge that really speaks to this moment. So that was one of our pieces. Well, delivery robots are going to kill that murderous industry. 
feel that murder is interesting choice of words there. But no, this week I, I published, I'm actually curious what these VCs think, but you guys, have you heard of Deal? Anyone heard of Deal? I've heard of Deal. I know have Deal. Have we heard of Deal? Wait, Sam, have, have you heard of Deal? Dave <laughs> forgot about Deal, but Sam remembers <laughs> Deal. Sam, Sam remembers do you wanna, Deal. Do you want to talk about Deal? Mm, not particularly, to be honest. Let <laughs> <laughs> okay. me talk about Deal for a second. So Deal is a company, um, it's one of these like, pandemic made their business. So Deal makes it easy to hire remote contractors. And if you, you know, want to hire teams in other countries outside the US, which many people want to do, many more people wanted to do during COVID in remote work, um, Deal has an all-in-one HR way to do that. Um, Huge growth, hundreds of millions in ARR, interesting business. Uh, huge, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, Co2, Spark, Emerson Collective, all big investors. So it turns out that Deal also has another product, which is basically a payout product. It's a way to pay people out. And we found it was being used by about two dozen prop trading firms. So these are kind of unregulated businesses where you pay a subscription fee to compete in some virtual challenges. If you do that, you get a chance to have your trades mirrored by real money and then to take a cut in the profits. Very confusing. Yeah, I'm so confused what this has anything to do with their mainline business. Well, what they say is that these sites are using, you know, if you run HR, you have to pay people you build payout technology to pay people. And then by extension, you know, other companies could just use that payout piece or do use that payout piece. Hmm. But the interesting thing about this is like these sites are unregulated, very confusing. Other payment services do not support them. And um, we, upon looking into this, reached out to um, the CFTC, and we said, what is the deal with these sites? Like, do they fall under U.S. financial regulation? And we listed, um, I think, two examples. And four days later, they shut one of the sites down um, and then sued it for being a Ponzi scheme. So wow. it turns out that they weren't offering a cut of the profits. They were just kind of issuing payouts based on these subscription fees and actually had incentives to make the trades unprofitable so that you would fall below some balance you had to keep and then re-up your subscription fee. So anyway, I worked a lot on this story this week. So I'm, thank you guys for hearing it out, but it's kind of like, and we're seeing it play out. I mean, as I'm recording this, we're publishing updates about other firms looking um, into supporting these. And I think it's a really interesting case. You know, Deal says, look, they, they comply with our business. Now, not this one shut down, they said, we missed that one, right? Or, you know, we didn't know, and then we shut it down. But, like, it's really interesting, these cases of, like, you're in one business. Um, these companies have a lot of different products. This isn't, like, advertised, right, is the business that they're in. And, you know, I think there is a question of how much money they were making. They say it's very, 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 very little, like sub 1% of revenue, but we also talked to the operators of these sites who were paying deal $49 per month per active user on the platform and taking a cut of the payouts on the platform. And if you do that math, you get kind of a different picture. So 
Yeah. Have you guys ever had a bait and switch for a company? Not th- this is not a bait and switch to be clear, but like it's um, it is a different product. So I guess I'm just kind of sad because I pride myself on researching and knowing all the dark corners of the internet where weird shit happens <laughs> and going to models. So you're like, oh yeah, of course there are these crazy yahoos who for some reason are like trading Forex overseas in like a semi-regulated way. And shocker, it's a huge business that no one knows about. Like that's my jam is like knowing that <laughs> stuff. And so the fact that I didn't know this was happening and like this is a whole sub weird industry, like that's the sad part for me is like, <laughs> Where I don't do you know, usually find like really those things, Sam? Well, yeah, this is how Sam's, do you find out Sam's about those? porn corner. Yeah, well, it's just like you have to know the real incentives of the world, right? And what's really going on. And like, this is like, I mean, we all know, I mean, it's kind of like, I felt like, I feel like it's like not knowing about BitTorrent is like not knowing about this stuff, which is an enormous industry of people doing somewhat, what sounds like extremely legally questionable things where they've structured some sort of subscription product around a market to pretend like they're not doing illegal trading when they're clearly doing illegal trading, right? Like, I mean, again, I just find this stuff culturally fascinating and I was sad to know that there's this whole corner of the internet I didn't even know existed. So now I have to go spend time finding the other version. You gotta read the CFTC's lawsuit about what this company was doing. Again, this isn't deal. This is the company that was using them as the payout provider, my Forex funds. <laughs> oh my God. You know. Anything named my blank blank. I'm still like, so confused as to what we're talking about. Like, the this domain is just name is a total giveaway, by the way. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> on the internet. There are, and I, I guess here's a here's a legitimate question. Thank you, Dave, for bringing us back to. But like, what responsibility do you think startups have to kind of like know their customers, right? And 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 I guess you can answer that sort of like ethically. You can answer it like legally. But um, we're in this area of like growth at all costs, right? People are scrambling for growth. A lot of these, you know, picks and shovels kinds of providers are being used by all sorts of businesses globally. Like as investors, how do you think about that? And Let me give a serious answer, which is like, there's another big thing that's been going on recently that has some similar, I wouldn't say similar overtones, but you have this kind of double-edged sword, which is a lot of these like software phone-based systems built on Twilio that were being used for like robo-spam, right? So there's like, Mm -hmm. and like, there are legitimate uses for these things. Like they're very legitimate businesses, right? They like help small businesses manage communication and flow and da-da-da-da. But obviously like, if you hadn't noticed, RoboSpam is kind of a problem, right? And like, there's been a bunch of crackdowns happening up and down the boards at the legal level, at the carrier level, et cetera. People saying like, how do we stop SMS spam, right? And so from an investor perspective, I think, look, you want your companies to be doing things that are good businesses and profitable. Sounds like Deal has a very profitable small corner of the weird ass internet they found here to make money on. But the key thing is, is like, you're supposed to be building enterprise value. So if it turns out that like all the shit you're doing is going to get shut down, right, or is questionable, the problem is you've just built no enterprise value. You might have some short-term cash flow, but it's going to go away. So like as an investor, it's just not that valuable, right? So I think, you know, with, with the SMS story, like everyone's been working super hard who touches that industry to like make sure that they're kicking off everyone who's not complying and who is doing robust spam because it's clearly not going to last and it isn't. I mean, as of September 1, a bunch of shit stuff got shut down, right? And so, like, there's a really high quality incentive to have high quality revenue, 
right? Whereas, you know, if you look at other industries or places that are less, you know, there are lots of money land grabs where people do questionable shit, but it's really hard to see how that's enterprise value, right? And so if you're basically saying, oh, we have a super high quality business model that's super sticky, hooray, hooray, but then actually all your cash is coming from super shitty stuff that's going to get shut down and like, you know, my illegal overseas trading operation.com. Like it's just a problem as an investor. Cause you're like, I'm looking at your financial statements. It says you're doing really well, but like, wait a minute, is our revenue coming from the place we need it to, to create long-term enterprise value or not? I mean, Britt, I feel like we got to talk about the media business here. Like, I mean, what was your experience with Brit or is your experience with Brit and Co in that regard? Well, I mean, the problem with the media business, unless you're a subscription business, like the information is the, that you don't, really know your customers. I mean, they're cookies <laughs> at the end of the day. And um, so you, unless you have an account system and login, and, and Britain Code does and, and has for many years, um, where you can buy things or, you know, favorite things or whatever you're using, first of all, a very small percentage of your audience will use that. Second of all, you're still not getting that much information about them. And so like I have I mean, we have many, many, many millions of, of people that come to that site and use those properties every month. And I can tell you if they're maybe male or female, certain age demographics and where they're geographically based. And that's about it. <laughs> and and it sucks. Um, and so even with email lists, you know, a lot of people in media are like, well, but we have email. And like, it's great. You can reach out to people and maybe get their attention um, a little bit stronger than traditional internet. But you're getting open rates. Uh, you have an email address that could be anybody in the world. And so we have IP addresses, but like, look, I will say in, in interesting things I learned on the internet in the last 24 hours, I, I was like, I saw, I wanted to read this. There's a wired article about, um, I don't even, it goes to how high impact it was. I don't even remember what it was about. It wasn't the open AI one. It was a different thing they wrote. And I was like, and I hit a paywall and it was $5 to subscribe a year, a year, a year, $5 a year. And then Shocker, after a year of fine print, they upgrade you to $30 a year. I'm like, how on earth? Like, the idea of having a million subscribers and making $5 million a year before you pay credit card fees, like, blew my mind that this is possibly a business. And so I was shooting my mouth off online about how ridiculous this is. And it is. It's not a subscription business. But a few smart people went out. I was like, no, no, no. You know, they don't even care about that. They're just doing it because you get paid more by advertisers if you have card on file for someone. Because then to your point, Bray, it shows they're real. That kind of makes sense. It still means they're not running a subscription business and I don't get it. But like, but at least that's your point about demystifying who your customers are. Having held, you know, sat on the board of Dwell uh, for many years, that this is true. Um, you know, and this, the analogy was always that people want to advertise in magazines that cost money not the free ones. If you sort of look at the magazine rack in the airport, like the free newspapers are always lower quality than the ones that people pay for. And advertisers still look at it this way. Remember the free newspaper bins people used to have around town? Yeah, I mean, it's Hudson News. You just go in and take whatever you want, right? <laughs> That's how it works. But no, I get what you're saying, Dave. Like the pamphlets, you know, like the, the local, yeah, got it. Okay. Jeff, it does beg a question, which is why does the information make more money on advertising? <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Oh, man. I've got lots of stories there. Well, but, I mean, program. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing to say is that with programmatic advertising, so like think banner ads that run on a website organically, 
if you have any information about your customers, you're going to get higher RPMs or like rate per thousand, so higher you know deals for from those advertisers, even with programmatic ads, just with like even a small set of data. So user data is a big thing that a bunch of people in the media industry are trying to crack, and you know it's still a big tough game. But advertising and programmatic media always, are not the future. Fifteen years behind. The user data story is so old that social networks are having to go in the other direction because it's been cracked down on. And media come to like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should have some data. It's like, yeah, Well, if social networks didn't implode the media industry's actual business model, then like this would be a lot easier conversation. We can't defend the level of brain power across the entire media industry, Brett, unfortunately. I think there there are pockets of excellence, but lots of room for improvement, I would say. But for sure. um, we're going to no, Dave. Fire I've got away. a different, another um, version of this uh, topic, which is uh, a mutual friend of all of ours called me, um, an investor, and asked me to talk to some founders that were launching a new social network or a new social product that I think we've all tried. And they were pre-launch, and I got on the phone with the founders, and I asked them one question, which was, well, we talked about a lot of things, but I asked them one key question, which was, how many countries in the world are you launching in to start with? And it wasn't a question they'd actually thought about. Like they, they said, we hadn't thought of that. Why are you asking us that? And I said, well, if, um, if uh, my experience of the last couple of years and all the way back to path is any guide, um, you do not want to have a country, uh, you know, become your largest user where you cannot monetize the users because you're just basically burning server costs um, into a non-monetizable market. And this can happen very quickly. Um, and they hadn't actually considered it. And they called me the next day and they said, you know, our conversation really changed our opinion. And we decided to launch in half the countries in the world and none of the ones that we talked about. And so I, hmm. I think to Sam's point, um, there's revenue, which is bad revenue and um, doesn't accrete to enterprise value, but there's also uh, DAU, MAU, that doesn't accrue enterprise value at the same rate. Um, and that's also a really important consideration if you're building a social networking or, you know, whether it's a subscription or ad-driven product, like all countries are not created equal and can really damage your business enterprise value. So then Dave, I'm actually curious how you think about Europe in that context, because if you think in social networking, because historically Europe's super rich, they buy shit, like yep. da, da, da. but given all of the bullshit regulations they've created and the fact that it's basically impossible to monetize outside of subscription, yeah. do you think like Europe, I mean, I always used to think that the real solution to Europe was just to take away all their nice things. Yeah. So like if you want to have ridiculous rules, then like you just can't have nice things. Wait, and like nice things being like Instagram, like what's yeah, thing? exactly, yeah. like good apps. It's nice like, apps, yeah. You can't have nice apps. It's also the, a Taylor, Taylor Swift uh, title of a song. Just want to throw that out there from Taylor's corner. Okay, back to Europe you. Sir. And what it's called. This is why we can't them. have nice things. But yeah, we should redo. It. Okay, go ahead. Back <laughs> but, to you. So, so just to push on this, it's like I always was like, yeah, like Germany. You want to have some stupid fucking laws? Then you just can't have this app. No nice apps like, no, for you. No, no, that's not. And I get why it's obviously very difficult for existing businesses. But Dave, I actually just wonder, I mean, in theory, Europe's rich and they can still, in theory, buy subscriptions. I'm not sure how proven that is for social products. Do you think that like the next generation of social apps is just kind of like, fuck Germany, right? Yeah, I actually, it's funny you bring this up. I just started thinking about this in the last two weeks because uh, I, I've just been thinking a lot about social apps, the next phase. 
and strategies for how to grow them. And it wasn't actually part of my mental framework for how to think about the world until the last few weeks. And I think I'm with you. I actually think I would deprioritize Europe um, broadly uh, right now. And I would sort of focus on an America first uh, out strategy and probably focus on, I don't know, the BRIC countries. Well, it, it's, a, it's actually hard to think about the risk map right now in terms of which countries to go first. I mean, you definitely don't want to do the ones that are low monetization, high usage. Like that's the main thing you really don't yeah. want to get into. But Europe, yeah. And it's funny, Sam, I saw you tweeting about um, the uh, wired subscription thing. And I actually was building a bunch of subscription models, uh, just, you know, uh, Excel for modeling out what subscription businesses might look like for consumer apps in the last couple of weeks. And it is so hard to think about how, you know, I mean, Spotify has something like 250 million subscribers. Netflix is about the same size. Like these just like, it's pretty hard to get to big scale with subscriptions. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. But then it's a fascinating topic and I want to lead this into a conversation about like what is happening with apps and consumer and business model, because it does kind of feel like there's some new stuff going on. And Dave, I know you're at the center of this, but like, obviously what ties these together is, you know, you've got Facebook considering offering an ad free subscription version in Europe for Instagram and Facebook because of the digital markets act, which is going to affect soon. And we were talking about this in our editors meeting yesterday. And then someone brought up like, how's Twitter blue doing? Right. Which is sort of horribly. And the information's reported like Netflix's um, numbers on its sort of ad and subscription tier are also, you know, not huge. Um, and so I, it, it has, it kind of, it seems like something is happening with the shift there with subscription coming into play into the sector more, but it also seems like there aren't clear rocket ship examples of it working with this next generation. So Dave, yeah, what are you seeing? Well, I, I would actually like to define for listeners what the Digital Market Act is, Just you, sure. who, who, who of us has the best understanding of it? Because I, I actually don't know bullet point per bullet point, like what it means for Europe. Yeah, so it's the latest quite sweeping set of regulations um, coming down in Europe. I think it technically goes into effect early next year, but there are like phases in the sort of rulemaking. And and it's basically an attempt to crack down on the big platforms and, and promote more competition. But what do they brass tacks have to do? I mean, why is it basically like you can't run an advertising business and you must run a no, subscription there's business? There's a lot of different parts of it, but it's basically around identifying these gatekeepers of which Meta Which somehow iMessage is not one. Yes. <laughs> which is kind of strange, you know, because iCloud, by the way, is one of the largest subscription services in the world as a billion subscribers. Right. Well, that we can talk. So they're actually Apple is actively arguing that they shouldn't be under this. Um, but basically, it's um, it's saying if you meet these these gatekeeper criterias, um, you're subject to a lot of rules, um, many of which have to do with like interoperability. So what Apple doesn't want to happen is for your iMessage bubbles 
to appear differently than yeah. your text message bubbles, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a trillion dollar color. They don't want to give up their one trillion dollar color green versus blue. Yes. But, you know, who like, I mean, we have all sorts of friends who think their like dating lives have been impacted by like. Well, I, I will admit that even I don't like messaging people on Android because it's slow. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So that's what, that's loosely what we're talking about. Yeah. And, but also think implications for App Store, implications for data privacy, why threads didn't launch in Europe, because um, seeding threads with the Instagram graph um, could have run afoul of it. But it's basically saying, you know, these big tech gatekeepers, so to speak, they obviously picked a nice name. Everyone wants to be gatekeeper. Um, you know, have a different set of rules around anti-competitive practices. Now you can, maybe this is a subject for a different day. You know, I remember first asking people about some of the proposed rule changes like interoperable app stores. And they were like, look, these companies are so big now, this is going to have no effect. This is just an example of, you know, the regulation comes too late and the big guys have found a way around it. And it adds to their legal expense. End of story. Um, and so, you know, that's a, a sort of interesting context. But it's, um, yeah, it's pretty top of mind right now. And and I think uh, people should probably pay more attention to it to the point that like some people are kind of immune to like, oh, Europe's doing something crazy. But you know, the U.S. tends to follow in some ways, not in all ways. So I think it's pretty important. Well, but, this seems to be big enough and. Back to your question, like what's going on with consumer and subscription, like, or just what really what's what are the drivers here? I mean, I think that's one of them. Europe is a big enough market that this does matter um, to uh, entrepreneurs thinking about building different business models, right? And broadly, there's like three different, I don't know, I, I guess I think of it in three different buckets. There's the consumer, social, and I guess media bucket that, um, you know, largely has been built on advertising uh, and, you know, you build a big audience, you monetize it um, using advertising, the marketing, you know, you're building a huge marketing business for people. Um, media has been slightly different than that. And then you also have games, right? Games is this really interesting universe where you've got very large audiences. Some of them are huge subscription businesses. They also have enormous digital goods businesses um, in games. And there's been this thesis for now, I would say, I mean, over 15 years. I mean, I remember in the 05 to 2010 era at Facebook, we hired an economist from Stanford that like sat next to me in the pod, in, my, in one of my pods I sat in. Um, that was just purely looking at 10 cents digital goods business model and whether or not we could do this. Um, so this has been something we've been talking about forever. Um, I think the other thing at play is um, consumer preferences are shifting quite a bit. I think people are used and, and to... fragmenting. Yeah, they're and fragmenting fragment. and their preferences are shifting a lot, right? I think people's willingness to subscribe to things, thanks to the App Store, thanks to Android, thanks to all of the fintech innovations of the last 10 years, has just made it a lot easier to click a button and subscribe to something, whether like it's a deal. substack. You can, subscribe, you can subscribe to a Forex trading platform. Exactly. how make money. And so the, the raw ingredients to build these things are different now. Now, whether or not you can build a huge business, 
I think is a really interesting question. And back to what I was kind of saying earlier, I mean, Netflix, 220 million subscribers, Amazon Prime, 200 million, Disney Plus, 130 million. I mean, all of the top, and I guess Spotify is 182 million. At least these are numbers that I was able to pull in the last couple of days. Like these are huge content libraries with enormous amounts of, you know, very serious business deals and IP rights. And to build the same kind of a subscription business using consumer social techniques is very difficult. So, um, and so wait, I, I want to hear from Brett. I want to hear from Brett. Well, I was just going to ask in light of even those statistics, Dave, like, is there a ceiling that like digital subscriptions tap out at, right? Like, so it feels like outside of the iClouds and Apples and Googles and all of those products, like the 200 to 300 million subscriber mark is kind of like the average cap of a lot of these pretty large companies like Spotify and Disney Plus and Netflix, et cetera. And so like, where, where do they go from there in order to grow their business? Will they just have to like, keep raising prices or produce new outputs? And, and like, you know, what are the other impacts of that? And you have these like bundling problems too, right? Where at some point with pricing and subscriptions, you end up in this situation where consumers get really frustrated. They don't want to subscribe to 10 things for $10. Suddenly you're paying $100 a month. And so the businesses have to, you know, think about how to bundle. And this was like a huge part of cable and, you know, how Ooh, things played out. Before we move on to cable, I, I want to say, I want to say one or two, just here's the thing I think I want to propose a, an alternative future because I think it's the one we're actually going towards, which is it's just going to be a shitload of smaller, very profitable niche apps, right? Like no one is, first of all, subscription, the biggest problem with subscription, it's a math problem, which is the bigger your base is, if you have the flat churn rate, no matter what that is, the bigger the base is, it's harder and harder to make up your churn the bigger you get. It's just a math problem. To acquire more and more subscribers to stay flat as your denominator grows. Yep. And like that's just how it works. So these things do naturally tap out at a certain scale. That scale can be big, but it cannot be, I mean, the biggest subscription services are a tenth the size of the biggest internet services yep. for a reason. And it's a, it's a, there is that subscription. And then I'm looking it up and it's actually the biggest gaming services are a tenth the size of the biggest subscription services. So, so that's part one. Part two, consumer preferences are fracturing. And because all of a sudden it used to be ads was the easy model to drop in, right? You had something, you had some users, you drop in a fucking pixel, you call it a day. To Dave's point, Stripe, Apple, like a bunch of these players have made subscriptions far more turnkey for apps. And so I do think that the, the very obvious subscale business strategy is going to be subscriptions to your core versus being ads. So there are apps then you get to, like take, I'll give one that we all use and is early, which is like Retro, right? Like I love Retro. Retro is a great little app. Is Retro gonna compete with Facebook? Of course it's- For oh, nine VCs, yes. But, that you're looking <laughs> no, but I like it. I use it. I'll keep using it. And eventually I think they'll charge me for it. I don't think that's a VC traditional backscale business. Like it's hard to imagine that being a billion dollar company any way you slice it. It's super easy to imagine that company making $50 million a year, right? And like being a really great business to own. And so this goes back to my whole like where is VC going thing when we're seed investing going, which is I expect a future with lots more apps that we would consider quote unquote subscale, but still are great apps that lots of people use and are great fucking businesses, but aren't necessarily global platforms. There'll be more of them. They'll be monetized through subscription. They'll have their niches. And I think 
frankly, it depends what conversation you want to have, but like this conversation of what's the next 200 million person subscriber app, the answer is there isn't one, right? But there is going to be a bajillion smaller apps, which are great businesses that if you finance correctly with the right capital efficiency are awesome businesses to own and operate and grow. Maybe you end up some combining them and like bundling them as companies, but it's just a very different future. And I think it has a lot to do with this monetization pattern changing. So yeah, do you think, I agree Sam, with that this. there is like Go an ahead. I more that we have more IIC models in five yeah. to I mean, ten years? This has been my thing. I've been like shooting my mouth off all over the internet on this, but this is my this is my jam, Brit. Is like I'm like, you know what we can do? You know what? You know what slow ventures can do? What? You know what? You know you guys can do. What? I'm an LP. I'm a, here's what we do. Okay. Stop fucking financing companies with the expectation they're going to be billion dollar, billion user platforms. This is part they're of our not. pitch, by the way. Be, like in the instead, yeah, finance a bunch of companies that are capital efficient that we can put a few million bucks into, build six subscription businesses off of at the fifty hundred million dollar scale. As seed investors, we love that. We make plenty of fucking money on those, especially yep. if we start bundling them up. We sell them to collectors, whatever. Get, who gets fucked is the industrial venture capital complex. Oh, industrial industrial venture. Oh, I hate the industrial venture capital complex. But <laughs> the people who have to jam money into things and need gajillion dollar outcomes to have good investing businesses, right? How do so, you make money? Those things are ultimately sold. You sell they can be sold. To- you can sell. Someone's going to start the roll up strategy, the IACs of them. You sell it into a public vehicle. If you're putting a few million dollars into these things and they're doing 50 million in ARR, you're loving it. You're well, why do they have to just sell or give you your money? I mean, you don't. You well, you don't want you want to exit. As you well, as the investor with like cash. That's industrial thinking, Brit. I mean, I agree that that is, but like the reality is, you got to. What you want dividends? Get, you do, look, yeah, you maybe fifty million. Look, LPs hate dividends. We know that, but you know what? If you get a bunch of companies that are doing fifty million in free cash flow, and you own ten percent of them, and you put in two million, two and a half million bucks to help get them started. I promise you that at a certain point, LPs are like, oh, yeah, we'll take those fucking checks, right? Like, yeah. that's pretty good, yeah. right? And I just think, I think that, you know, we got to use, you know, as the real seed investors in the world, right? We have to use our leverage point, right? And what we can do differently to win. And I think that people who are betting on these questions of what's going to be the next 200 million uh, subscriber, uh, they're asking the wrong question, right? Like, there's going to be plenty of billion Could not dollar agree more. $500 million companies built born, that are going to be more vertical. They're going to have loyal subscriber bases, low churn rates, great, easy to operate, capital efficient. The teams are happier. One of these businesses, right? That's why we're 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 talking up your game, Jess. Jess, where do you think? Where do you think? Where do you think I've got this idea? It's and like Brinkos, by the way, to be clear, like just like yeah, tens of millions of dollars in revenue, profitable. You know, that's the jam cranking it. And by the way, from my personal experience in my family and people around, you know who lives great lives? It's the entrepreneurs who own the vast majority of their businesses, control their destinies, make tens of millions of dollars a year top line doing what they love, right? And the only people that are mad are the venture capitalists who put money in too late, expecting- Or who didn't invest. But you- clear, it's really hard, Sam. Yeah, he's making it sound like a walk in the park, Jess. Well, the best thing, the the easiest thing to do is just to do a 50 million ARR company. It's better to have 10 million true subscribers than a billion users. But you still have to manage churn and everything else, so- of course, this is like, it's not, this is not rocket science. I just look at my own backyard, literally. I'm like, oh, 
more of those, please. <laughs> and the good part about being an investor is I don't have to do the hard work. Yeah, I just go up with matching. Plan. You're pattern matching. Sam, you remember when you wrote columns in the information that I edited and now you just write screenshots, but you wrote a column <laughs> called, um, and this one was good because I, or our professional editors edited it, called Fire Your Customers. You should fire more customers. You yeah, remember? that was like almost 10 years ago I wrote that. Yeah, well, it remind, this conversation reminds me of that, right? Which is like not all revenue is building enterprise value. Not all customers are kind of worth it. Rethinking what does success look like for you know a super impactful consumer business, and then also from the investor side. So I think that's why this moment is kind. It's like destabilizing, but fun in the industry. So. Um, I want to end by talking a little bit about what's happening in boring traditional media land, because it is related. And Dave, you were talking about the kind of bundling of apps and um, and just sort of the economics of too many subscriptions. So we, we've been following ESPN here and we have we've seen a kind of really big escalation in in the cable wars with Charter controlled by John Malone saying, actually, ESPN you're asking for too much money for our cable subscribers to get you. And so we're just going to go dark and we are going to basically take you out of this bundle um, that uh, charter, I believe subscribers are going to get. And um, you know, it's the kind of thing that you, you see now and again in cable every couple of years, these sort of carriage wars over carriage fees, but um, a lot of people I talk to, and including our very experienced reporters and editors, say this one is like totally different. They're pulling, they're sticking it to ESPN when they're weak. Um, and that John Malone, who most of the listeners of this pod will not have read Cable Cowboy, but they should about the history of the Or The Outsiders, which is one of the greatest business yeah. books of all time. Um, or the or the offer, which has absolutely nothing to do with it. But it's a great TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it does. Sam, you, you it kind of does because we we can end with the Godfather if we must. But it does kind of seem like we're at this moment where if the and who knows, maybe these guys will find that price and ESPN will get carried. But in the absence of that, if they're really, we're really seeing, I think, the beginning. Well, an acceleration of the unraveling of the bundle. Obviously, like the direct um, and over-the-top model has been doing this. But like this is kind of a big deal with these two sort of titans saying, hey, we're not going to do business together. I don't know. Britt, what do you think? You know Disney. Oh, my well. God. Well, again, back to my Google TV days of um, 09 and, yeah. and 10 and 11. Like this was – I mean, this has all just been writing on the wall and – you know, actually, you know, it's interesting. I think YouTube TV is is going to be the real winner in the long run because the, what what gets unbundled re gets rebundled, and we just all want it bundled back right now into a single subscription. Like now, I have fifty different apps on my Apple TV, and like I have to go into each one, and I just want the lineup again, but app by app, and like you know, I actually think that's going to be the best user experience down the line. But yeah, this is just writing on the wall. I think what's interesting is there are still seventy five million. Uh, cable subscribers in the U.S. and Charter owns about 20 million of those. Um, and so it's a pretty significant um, amount of the current cable subscriptions in the U.S. And they're all just blacked out right now. And, and I don't know if you guys have heard, but 
people, the subscribers are actually complaining so much that they've lost all these channels and like the US Open is happening, you know, all that and they're yeah. missing out. And so Charter is actually paying uh, quietly $15 for these subscribers and giving them like rebates and refunds back on their monthly subscription, which is also costing them a shitload of money right now. But I do think this is like, look, in the end of the day, these cable businesses, it's like if you haven't already canceled cable, you're not going to cancel cable, right? And so like, I actually think this is exactly right, which is just like any like AOL or these things. It's like everyone has already shifted who was going to shift and the people remaining, mm -hmm. like I actually bet you could have almost no content and they will still just pay for cable because it's like stuck on their bills and whatever else. So, sh so I think that's kind of the part of the game we're now in is like these subscription businesses, like they just never go away. It's kind of like old cryptocurrencies that like people just like keep mining forever, even though- I think so they there's one more, I think there's a big one, at least one or two more drop-offs. I don't think we're at like the AOL- How dial. big were they at their peak? I mean, this kind of gives us some numbers around like what the, what like if 75 million is sort of your persistently subscribed uh, base, right? Like that kind of gives you a sense. Um, and I like, my, well, I, just, I just, I want to do the chart. I bet there's an, I bet it's just asymptoting out. Yeah. And I bet it's like, they just, it's a very yes. simple map. So if it's asymptoting out, it's like, forget the user experience. Sure. You pay someone 15 bucks to make them go away. Cause it's cheaper than keeping them on the customer service line. Like that is the actual math is like talking to them for an hour about how mad they are. It's just cheaper to give them $15 and make them go away is like, yeah. if it's just asymptoted, it's asymptoted. And like that actually, at that point, your strategy is use it as a cash cow, make the cost as low as you possibly yeah. can, and just make cash forever and send it to your shareholders. Yeah, which is, is why they don't care. Too? Don't we have the triple, quadruple, quintuple, you know, bundle or something? VoIP, <laughs> throw some VoIP in there, but isn't that the... I mean, isn't this being driven by the same thing that we were talking about earlier, which is that these big companies, you know, Disney Plus wants to go direct to consumer, have their own subscription relationship. Like everybody wants to have a direct subscriber relationship. They don't want to be. Bundled. Well, they want their cake and eat it too. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's totally part of it because the cable guys are like, okay, if you're going to do that, why are we, you know, that certainly changes like their negotiating leverage if they're going direct. But I think like Disney is still banking on those carriage fees to are like they? whether. They yeah. Or are they just looking for business. the lowest cost? Aren't they just looking for the lowest cost per customer, like per, per cable subscriber? Well, well, I will say, but remember Dave, the carriage thing was one of the greatest scams of all time because they got paid whether or not you used it. Yeah. Right. So like the reality is, is like that, that was free money for Disney that just doesn't persist once these cable bundles like, you know, candidly, we're asymptoted out. We're going to take our cash, you know, go acquire your own goddamn customers. Right. Like, and I actually, and they actually have to care about the content as opposed to being like, you just get ESPN. Right. Like, and you're paying for it, even not watching it. So I do think the people who are banking on free money, those days, like when things get tight, those days go away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which by the way, we're built on the back of John Malone acquiring the lowest cost. Uh, you know, he he made this business on lower acquiring the lowest cost subscribers in the country, like regional market by regional market, and that's where the cable bundles or the cable subscription empires were built. Right. Yeah. Fun fact: only interview I've ever gotten after faxing a letter to someone to request <laughs> an interview. This Fax is how John machines. Malone likes to get his interview requests. Got me the interview. 
made Guys, I'm not, I'm not, I was looking into this because Jess will can agree with this. Is like I'm obsessed with the fact that I can email my printer and it will print for me. <laughs> and, um, this came up. I was waiting for it. Guys, the big technology revelation in the lesson household this week, it was not the sauna now working with the iPhone app because I don't think that happens yet. But we have a printer. We had a cocktail party for our preschool. I mean, a coffee party. And Sam showed the parents our printer on the floor of our coat closet. <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed because here we are supposed to be the technology whip it people. And they thought he was going to unveil like a, a 3D something. And they're like, it's an HP. <laughs> I love this thing. I'm back to paper. And so I was looking into like, can I get a fax machine? Because I would love it if people, if I had a fax number up and I said, hey, if you want to pitch me, fax me. I'm, I actually think those pitches would be pretty high quality. I agree. Right? And like they can drop pictures. As opposed to email. You can't, you know. Like, <laughs> drop pictures. I mean, there is, there, there, we get back to the fax bombing days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the black paper. Oh, and but, you but, and well, I think it but, should be, I was talking to Dave about this last night because our eight-year-old is taking like a typing course. And like Dave and I were telling him about the computer lab when we were in school and how you would print out the things you would type in the computer lab with the paper that had like the holes on the edges and then yeah, it would rip yeah. off the edges yeah. and fold them. Totally. But you can make them into things. You can make banners. Yeah, and I think Remember we should banners? get that kind of paper too with our new fax machine so that we the can- The laser writer. The laser writer. Oh my god, this is great. The image writer. Was it? Wasn't it like you're that? right? That's the laser. Writer. The laser writer was, was after it was the image writer. You're absolutely right. The image writer. Yeah. Which, by the way, oh all god. of this was inspired by that. I got this new teenage engineering uh, loudspeaker called the Magic Radio, which is, I think, one of the most unbelievably interesting products on earth right now. Like it. It's like a Bluetooth speaker, but it records on a hard drive everything you're listening to. And then you can like scratch it and remix it and loop it. And it's like the funnest toy to play with with your kids. Um, but, you know, it combines like old and new in a way that I haven't seen before. Guys, we need affiliate codes for these, this shit. Yeah, we should get in kickbacks on this. We should have a counter. Trainers to shoes. To Dave's cool thing that sounds actually interesting. Speaking of which, we were gonna, are we going to announce our more or less cocktail party? Oh gosh, Sam! What what do we have to announce? What are you you going rogue here? Remember, it's like if you write a review for us. Since we don't make any money on this, we want to find ways to lose more money. <laughs> we're like, we're gonna do the if you write us a review, then you can come over and I'll cook you hamburgers at the pool house. Sounds at good. But like, yeah. what do they have to do? Screenshot the review and send well, it, it to you. It has to be a good review, a positive oh, review. They yeah. need to fax me the review. <laughs> Okay. I think we, I think we're still working out the kinks, but um, there's something in there. But basically, we are we are looking for ways to bring more IRL to the more or less community and to all our awesome listeners out there. We are grateful. We are grateful for the feedback. So we are um, we are plotting ways to gather. And one idea we've been floated is inviting <laughs> those of you who give us glowing five star reviews. <laughs> yeah. We don't take less than five stars. <laughs> Cooler. Yeah, who huh. wouldn't want? We know we can do, guys. We can do like what big podcasters do. We can do a live episode. Big we like recorded at the pool. Is house. this like the industrial <laughs> podcast? Like industrial venture capital? Yeah, industrial we're podcasting. Artisanal, we're artisanal podcasting. Big, po big podcast, man. You gotta fuck. You know, we gotta screw up big podcasts. They're out of control. Yeah, I think no. I I would say stay tuned on this. We've got we know we're the fall. The ideas are flowing. The community is hopping. This has been great. I think maybe we can wrap this episode because we've covered a lot. We've actually, surprisingly, covered a lot of ground. 
And, Wait, what about um, Sam and Britt's TV corner? Well, mine's not TV. Mine's TS. So Okay. Give us a little Tay and a little I'm going to give you my 60-second update on yeah. Taylor Swift and why she's still a genius. However, she should pivot to subscriptions based on this episode, and even Absolutely. if she caps out at $50 million. Okay, so yeah, I'll build, Taylor, I, I will build her a subscription social network just for her fans. We've probably all seen that she's... So many people have tried this, Dave. This is bringing Yeah, but it so wasn't us, Jess. Like, if we can do it this... It wasn't Taylor Swift. Yeah. We're going to pitch Taylor on the subscription. Okay. A lot of people have seen she launched her concert as a movie now. You can go into, like, AMC and Regal and all these different movie theaters. Not only did she, like, sell out the theaters, uh, you know... Yeah, it was the single largest first day, day ever. At AMC <laughs> and Regal Wait, and all these other... So first of all, she she's bringing back movie theaters because she's like biggest opening sales day ever. Yeah, they did twenty six or twenty seven million in pre orders first day. Hmm. Guys, but AMC is down thirty six percent. We all know Sam that stock isn't impacted immediately by the Barbie movie and Taylor and all these things. Remember? Okay, she geniusly also made the adults ticket price nineteen eighty nine. And the, and the kids' ticket price, 1313, which is her favorite number, 1989 is her album. But also, her family and herself negotiated directly with AMC's CEO and said, you know, everyone else was trying to get this deal for me, including Netflix and whatever. But um, they paid for the concert themselves uh, between 10 and, and $20 million. Production. And they negotiated directly with all of the movie theaters to get like a 50-50 split of the ticket prices, which in net net is going to give them like so much more money than the streaming services. But then even after 13 weeks of being in the theater, they're going to bring it to streaming. So all in all, so I just, just think it is a clever business. That's why AMC business. stock is down yeah. because they just gave half their money to Taylor yeah. Swift. But their Square. brand, but their brand vibe is up, Sam. But to be clear, <laughs> they went around the distributors like that. That's kind of part and parcel to what we're talking about. Like, you know, here's a content owner that just went direct to the fans, right? Why wouldn't Taylor Swift have been like, look, give me, grant me a third of the company. Like, I'll do I don't think you want a third of AMC, deal. Sam. Why <laughs> not? You just looked at the what? stock price. <laughs> well, it's only a $1.3 billion market cap company. But I, I, think it's like, not, I think it's not just their theaters. It's, I agree, Britt. It's totally amazing. I think as always, the question just is like, is she just too much of an outlier for this to be any broader commentary? on the state of distribution. I don't know. I think if artists record their concerts and go to theaters, I think that that would actually be a huge thing. Um, most people yeah, can't afford, I mean, people can't afford to go to a lot of these concerts now. They're I far mean, away. The like, invented this. Phantom events. Don't you remember that being advertised? The f where they have you like the opera live in the movie theater. And you're like, why would I ever go to that? Yeah. Because and I think it also just speaks together. to, yeah, I think it speaks to this like, almost spiritual need that people have right now to have collective, we talked about this before, but to have this collective experience with other people, like I think it's, it's, it's like directly in this. This is a good dividing line. The Morans are definitely more in-person collective experience and the lessons are definitely- I'm more pool house. <laughs> Sam is more pool house in-person experiences. Sam likes That's the one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I love one-on-one. -on -one. I can yeah. deal with two-on-one -on -one more than that, too many people. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to leave it here. Great to see you guys. Good to and see you. thanks to everyone who's listening, who's sharing, who's talking about it. Um, we'll see you next time on More or Less. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye.
If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less at Dave Morin at lesson at J lesson. And as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.